0: Welcome to the weekly benefit roast featuring Benefit Indemnity Corporation's president Roger Bain. Roger has devoted more than 30 years to understanding and developing innovative health benefits plans for large groups and groups as small as five employees. Our moderator is Bob Graham. Take it away, Bob.
1: We are starting with a benefit roast. It is March 25th. I can't believe it's a week since the last time we got together, but we are back together. And we are going to have a really fun discussion today. And I will tell you, Roger's in rare form. He and I started talking about some issues this morning and I said, Roger, stop talking, let's do it on the air. So we're gonna have an open free form discussion about healthcare, the state of healthcare and issues surrounding it. And if you wanna join in our discussion, you are welcome to, you can click down on the chat feature at the bottom. Or you can ask us questions and you can even say, I'd like to be on air with you, and we will put you on air. I have a feeling today we're going to get some people with some interesting comments, Roger, because I know you're raring and ready to go to talk about uh, what an article you saw over the weekend and other things going on in the state of healthcare in the US today. So without further ado, Roger Bain, take it away.
0: Well, Good afternoon, Bob. Um, I I don't know about raring to go, but certainly it's interesting when you see articles from a variety of different perspectives. The article that I read this morning was really a gentleman that was talking about how wonderful the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, has been in that it's saved America $2.3 trillion in the last 10 years or nine years since an enactment in supposedly bending the healthcare cost curve. But later in the article, he continued with saying, we're not sure exactly how it did that. Maybe it's because the employer is shifting more of the burden to employees. Maybe it's because everybody's in higher deductibles and can't afford to get healthcare. Maybe it's because of this and that. And, and then I was gonna comment on the article and I started reading everybody else's comments. and. And I realized that most of the world seemed way ahead of me and that they were already blasting the credibility of the article. And how in the world can we talk about this being some tremendous advantage in savings when even one of the reasons he, he cited for the savings is that some of the states didn't expand Medicaid as anticipated. So that money wasn't spent. That's not saving on health care. That's just avoiding health care and delivery. And so. It was a very interesting take on that. And then you combine that with an article that Bob dropped in front of me about Medicare for all and just exactly what that means to everybody. And and I'd really love to get the take of of everybody out here. And what exactly does the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, or also known as Obamacare, what does it mean to you? Has it really been significant value, or what questions do you still have? Is it saving you money? Do any of you out there have deductibles comparable to what you had in 2009, 2010, before the enactment of this law created all the changes? And have you been able to keep a health plan if you liked it? I mean, there's just so many questions that, that we really need to flesh out, and I'd love to hear if there are any out there.
1: Well, Roger, Clint's saying he loves the concept of giving everyone access to health insurance, but the reality doesn't te- seem to match the idea. Can you comment on that? I, th- I think that's a perspective that many people share, that everyone wants to be able to know that they have health care when they get seriously injured or when there's a problem, but how we do that gets complicated, to say the least.
0: Well, yeah, it does get complicated on a lot of levels. Um, and, and yes, I think we all would love to believe that healthcare for everyone is is easily accessed and available and affordable, and so be it, you know, that's kind of the panacea. In dealing with healthcare reform since back in 1987, I can tell you that the stem, the core root of the debate stems from a discussion of access and affordability and how those two terms are codependent because you can't have access if you can't afford it. And if you do have access, but it's unaffordable, you might as well not have access. So it really doesn't make sense to talk about access and affordability, except as in one thing and that debate back then it still continues today as to whether or not healthcare for all Americans is a right or if access to healthcare is a right and what what's truly a human right is healthcare a human right or is access to it a human right i don't really care because it's not about politics It's about getting care in people's hands in a way that we can all afford it. And the only way we can all afford it, in my opinion, is that everybody's got to have skin in the game. We can't just give healthcare away unilaterally to everyone because everybody will use it like it's free. If you gave steak away like it was free, everybody would eat a lot more steak. And so... We just have to be sure that we understand the magnitude of what we're really trying to do here in order to get the desired result. The desired result is needed health care for individuals in this country that that should have health care when they need it. But I'm not sure that's a giveaway program. Bob?
1: Uh-huh. Roger, I was going to say, I've got a comment from Evelyn, I can't afford insurance, my employer doesn't have insurance, so what can we do? So she's raising a question that I think a lot of people have, Roger, they're small businesses that just don't think they can afford insurance in this current climate. Can you talk about that a little bit?
0: Well, I I can, and I hope I don't offend anybody in the process, but I really need to understand what can't afford it means. Um, you know, and not to this person directly, because it, it may be a valid comment, but but to the world of listeners, I, I have to say, what model of car do you drive? What model of cell phone do you carry in your pocket? Uh, you, you know, these kinds of things are questions of affordability. And if you can't afford health insurance, but you have the most recent version of the iPhone, then I have to question that. Um And also, even more important than that discussion of choices is a real simple discussion of what I can't afford it means after the ACA has passed. Because the ACA, for those of you that don't understand it fully, the ACA says that the lower your income, the lower your individual responsibility amount is. So in the world of post-reform since 2010, If you're below 400% of the federal poverty level, the worst case scenario is nine and a half percent of your income toward health plans. But the lower your income, the lower it is. As little as two or 3% of your income is all that's required for you to get health insurance. So I, I really have to understand more about the affordability issue and what they're saying. In fact, that's why they say Obamacare in some discussions is a success and that we've gotten 20 million more Americans covered because they can now now afford the health care because the subsidies being paid through state exchanges are paying for all but a couple of percentage points of the value of that premium and in some cases paying for all of that premium for richer benefits than than we've ever had before for that income strata. And so, Who can't afford it? I'm confused by. So that's a challenging question, Bob.
1: Well, Roger, I I think you make a unfair argument that a critic would say, wait a second, I use my iPhone or my uh, Droid phone every single day. It's a lifeline for me to connect with family and friends, with my job, to check my email and so on and so forth. Whereas with insurance, I think we run a risk because the best case with insurance is you pay all that money. And you never use it and take it from someone who uses a chunk of insurance each month, big time, as you know, I would much rather not be using the insurance thing using it. But if you don't use insurance, you don't realize the incredible savings it can be to you. Do you think that's part of the equation?
0: You know, it's difficult for me to remove the conversation of affordability of health insurance with the affordability of everything else in your life. Because affordability simply means that. We're talking about a financial buying decision. Many of us in America have gone all of our lives without being able to remember a single day that we were not covered by a health insurance program. And we've paid that expense and we've had tough times too. We've had difficult times. I've had times where I used my home equity line to make payroll for a small business when I was young and getting started. And yet, I had health insurance. And it, and it bothers me to some extent to talk about removing these luxury items from the discussion of fairness. Yes, in today's world, a cell phone is a lifeline. But that doesn't mean the most modern smartphone is that which is important over purchasing health insurance for as little as $96 a month. A lot of people are paying more than that for their cell phone, Bob. Uh, uh,
1: Yes, that's true. Roger, I'm getting a notification that suggests that we are not on the air right now. Dana says the session isn't broadcasting. That was at 340. Is that possible?
0: No, I'm seeing that half of the audience sees this thing and half doesn't. Uh, so there may be some technical issue. Okay, just, just just back to 100%. So I'm I'm not so sure where we're running into a problem. I think. Okay,
1: just wanted to make sure we weren't we weren't losing our crowd. Uh, so let cream. me.
0: My screen shows on air showing the application of the PowerPoint presentation, which everybody out there should be seeing uh, the benefit roast slide. So I see
1: that slide, just wanted to make sure. I know you and I see different things. So let me give you another question. Tina says, what should a small business owner do to be helping with this situation? If their goal is to do what they can to ensure that their employees are able to go to work each day for as long as possible. I think she's asked the right question. That's really where the rubber meets the road for an employer, right?
0: Well, yeah, I think that is really part of it. And then when we talk about, when we talk about an employer's responsibility, you know, again, from a policy standpoint under the regulations and the law under the ACA and under a reality standpoint are two different things. But in, in the world of large groups, larger employers, over 50 employees, The law states what their requirements and obligations should be. And I say should be because they don't really state what their obligations are because they wrote the law so poorly that there's loopholes that make things pretty avoidable. But in the small employer, the employer responsibility is nil. They don't have to offer benefits to their employees if they have less than 50 employees. They're able to allow those employees to go to the state exchange, the individual market, and find their own coverage. And when those employees do that, they have the protection of the Affordable Care Act to make sure that their cost, their contribution toward that coverage is commensurate with their income so that it is affordable. Now, I I don't wanna debate What's affordable and what's not, based on what the government said. You know, they said if you're under 150 percent, then you're probably around two and a half percent of your income.
1: 150 percent of your householding.
0: I'm sorry. If,
1: federal. If po- I just want to be clear.
0: Right. Federal so, poverty level. Okay. If, if your income is is between 100 and 200 percent, say of the federal poverty level you're looking at 25 to 3% of that income committed to health insurance. If your income is between 200 and 300%, it goes to around 6.5%, and between 300 and 400%, no more than 9.5% of your income. And And in that, I have to say that it's also that's to buy a a silver plan in the exchange. But the same allotment of tax credit that you get, you could buy a bronze plan in some cases for free because you get enough money to buy a silver after your contribution. But if, if the amount of money you get for that tax credit will pay for a bronze plan, you don't need to make a contribution at all and you still have health coverage. So there's there's a I don't want to get
1: that coverage, Roger, with the silver and the bronze plan when put when reality hits. Is that catastrophic mostly or is that uh better than that?
0: Well, it it, it's better than what we most of us would consider catastrophic. I know in Maryland for many, many years we sold a plan that we called catastrophic that had a fifty thousand dollar deductible and a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar benefit per condition or claim or occurrence, right? So I would say that's catastrophic. When you talk about the bronze plan or the silver plan, you're talking about a deductible and some co-payments. And that deductible in a bronze plan could be high. It could be a five or a $6,000 deductible. In a silver plan, it's gonna be considerably lower. And again, If you're below 250% of the federal poverty level, however, that silver plan is loaded up with additional cost-sharing benefits, so your benefits might be better than somebody else buying the richest plan in the marketplace because of the subsidies for low income. So when we talk about affordability, there is rationale to say there's no real argument for that anymore. And that's kind of what bothers me.
1: Well Roger you primarily sell self self-insure, uh, insured self insured products. Can you give us a comparison you've been talking about the silver plan and the bronze plan and the deductibles and all that? Can you give us the other side of the equation where a self funded or self insured or employer owned insurance plan would be different and similar because I think that might give people some insight into how complicated this is, but also how there are options out there that are beyond what we often hear about?
0: Well, first of all, keep in mind that self-funded plans purchase a lot of insurance. So it's not like people think when they hear the term self-funded that, oh, wait a minute, you're telling me I'm paying for my own medical care. Well, it's not really that simple. It's actually a pretty well-structured program. So when you look at the difference between fully insured and self-funded, the differences under the regulations are that in a fully insured plan for groups of 50 and under, under the ACA, those plans have 10 essential health benefits that they must provide coverage for. And when they provide that coverage, it has to be unlimited. And those 10 are pretty traditional stuff, except for a couple of new ones, which is pediatric dental care and, and, and some rehabilitative therapy. But when you look at the self-funded market, it's more like the large group market where you don't have to provide all 10 of those benefits, but if you do provide them, you have to provide them on an unlimited basis or or a regulated basis, just like the rest of the ACA. So the difference is really how you're charged for it. You know, in the ACA, you have a whole lot of uh, community rating. Your plan is going to be rated based on the health of your entire population in a certain region of your state. There's zip codes or actually not even zip codes, usually a quadrant or a large section of your state. And you're going to be priced accordingly when you're in the world of self-funded. well, You're
1: also going to be going through one of the big insurance carriers, primarily, correct?
0: Absolutely. You're going to be going through one of the big insurance carriers and you're going to be buying what they have built and offered in the exchange. And unfortunately, under the ACA, a lot of that has gone away, right? There's only a few major carriers left in the marketplace. It's not like the late 80s and early 90s when we had 30 or 40 different options. Now we've got three or four in most areas and sometimes less. And so in the world of self-funding, you're seeing those options expand and have more competitors and more options to provide the more creative benefit structures that really help employers find what they need for their employees and rate them appropriately.
1: And Roger, we're also seeing a lot of the bigger carriers are going into the self-funded part as well, right?
0: Yes, absolutely. There's more of that than I ever remember in my 32 years. Um, So there's a pretty big difference in that structure.
1: I've got a note from George here who says, self-funding sounds really scary to me. I could never afford to cover my employees this way. Why do you keep talking about it? So can you shed some light on that, Roger, how that, how that financing works out? Because I know you've explained it to me before, and it's not like it sounds.
0: Well, yeah, I wish I had a slide for that here. I didn't know we were gonna get into this. It's pretty easy to show graphically, but the bottom line is in a self-funded health plan, the employer makes the promise to pay benefits to his employees and then buys insurance to protect himself from the cost of that promise. So so Tim, if you think you can't afford it, well, you can't afford to self-fund any less than you can afford to fully insure because the reality is you're still buying plenty of insurance. So you're gonna look at your health plan budget under a self-funded plan, much like you would under a fully assured, what's the worst case, what's the ma- maximum amount I could spend before insurance takes over everything, and then you compare that in the marketplace and make your competitive decision and purchase what makes most, most sense for your company. So it's really not rocket science, it's a little more complex, but once you got to get a handle on it, it's like riding a bike. It's really easy.
1: And this used to be called alternative risk by the phrase that people use, right, Roger? Because that's well, really what you're doing. You're moving the risk to alternative oppor- to in different insurance carriers, right?
0: Well, that's, that's true. There, there's still a segment in the industry that calls it alternative risk transfer, and, and that involves a, even a broader scale in just self-funded, that's those that might be using self-funding for workers' compensation programs and their property and casualty, as well as health insurance. That's all alternative risk transfer. But you'll see in the, in the health world, self-funding is one of the most common ways to transfer that risk. In fact, well over half of all American employees are covered under a self-funded plan instead of a fully insured plan. And that's because most of your large employers are exclusively self-funded.
1: So Roger, just so we're really clear, and I think I understand this, but I wanna make sure our our audience does. If I have 10 employees and we self-fund and they use $1 million worth of coverage in calendar 2019, I am not gonna get a bill for $1 million for that coverage, correct?
0: Well, you are, but you're gonna have the insurance company pay you for that
1: a large portion of it
0: right exactly
1: so so i'm not writing a check at the end of the year that says it was one my employees used a million dollars i'm paying one million dollars i'm paying my employees are likely contributing some money to the premiums i'm contributing and then the rest is being dealt with through insurance correct
0: that is um not a thousand percent technically correct, but it is correct from the perspective of understanding how it works. Yes,
1: I'm just trying to make it simple because sometimes it gets too complicated well
0: that's why I say the simplest way to say it is an employer makes the promise to pay benefits to his employees and then buys insurance to protect himself for that promise, and that's exactly what happens. You buy insurance, you know for example when when people say how large does a group need to be to self fund their coverage?" I ask simply this on your auto insurance policy. Do they offer a lower deductible than what you have? For example, do you have a $100 deductible on your collision, or do you have a $500 deductible on a collision? If you have a $500 deductible or something even higher, then guess what? You're self-funding that piece of your auto insurance. Medical insurance is the same way. When you look at an employer that's self-funding their plan, they're gonna establish and a limit to how much they think is a, is a reasonable budget for them, and they're going to lay off the risk on an insurance company. It's that simple.
1: And you work with companies to figure this out. They're not doing this on their own. It's not their CFO or their benefits manager sitting and negotiating this alone with insurance companies. You're intervening and you have products and, and scenarios that play this out so that they don't have to create it from scratch, correct?
0: Well, yes, not only that, but we also have the, the firms that will handle all of that process and paperwork. We don't want employers sitting around uh, printing up ID cards for their employees and those types of things. That would be absurd. So, so what happens is there's an entire alternative risk transfer industry that provides third-party administrators. That third-party administrator is that party that does all of the paperwork to manage your health plan for you. Uh, and so it reduces your involvement from a day-to-day basis to a simple monthly bill and and maintaining the appropriate uh, policy and compliance, just like you would have to in a fully insured plan. Uh,
1: Roger, Billy says we should change the name. Self-funded is scary. Self-insurance makes it sound like I have to assume all the risk, but what you're saying now suggests that I'm just taking more control. Any comment to that?
0: Um, we get The only comment is that I, I like to be very, very compliant from a technical perspective. And so I don't have the uh, industry authority or, or omnipotent authority to change what we call things. And so I like to stay pretty cleanly that we're not a fully insured plan. We do self-funding for a reason. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of nicknames for self-funding. Alternate funding, partially self-funding, level funding. There's all kinds of different things people call it. But from the real perspective, self-funded is self-funded. But there's nothing really to be afraid of with that. And, and that's just a matter of understanding the name.
1: So, Roger, Carl asks us this question. Uh, my broker has never mentioned this to me. What's up with that?
0: Well, many brokers are um, as confused about self-funded as their clients are, and that's really an industry shame. We are working very, very hard to try and educate professional insurance brokers uh, on the value, the benefits, the mechanics, and the workings of how self-funded works. In fact, I did a seminar last week, and I'm doing another one Wednesday morning in Northern Virginia to educate brokers on your basics of self-funded. Because it's, it's just a concept that has been, for the broker, a little bit more work than, than the real easy, just place that old big, big company coverage. And as being a little bit more work, a lot of brokers have never really embraced it. And the reality is they're potentially doing many of their clients a disservice by not exposing them to it.
1: So Carl asks a follow up question. Should I be asking my broker about this? And if he doesn't know about it, what should I do then? Which I think is a great follow up question.
0: Well, I think I think a better thing to do is demand of your broker some competitive proposals that show how these things work for him. Because if if you ask a broker about self funded that isn't comfortable with it, he's gonna give you an answer that indicates that you shouldn't be comfortable with it, even though that's not necessarily a real reason or a value proposition. So what you should do is, is simply tell your broker, I would like to see proposals from many of the leading products in the self-funded world so that I know that I'm getting the right deal. And if your broker is uncomfortable or resists or refuses, well, then you got to give somebody else a call and get it done. You at least need to know.
1: Roger, Pat's comment was, and I wish you could see this, I don't think you can, competitive proposals, question mark, exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark. I'm guessing that Pat's not seeing competing proposals. Any comment to that?
0: Well, I, I guess I really don't understand what all the question marks mean um if you're not receiving competitive proposals and alternatives then somebody's not doing their job and and that could be a variety of reasons but there's not too many areas in the country that don't have more options than just one whether they're fully insured or self-funded and if you're not getting them then i'm not sure what to say
1: okay uh I think that's all of our questions, Roger. Did you get out of your system all the things you had indicated early this morning you wanted to share, or did we miss anything?
0: Well, probably not, Bob. I don't know that I've ever gotten all of it out of my system. I've been working in, <laughs> I've been, I've been in health care reform, as you know, for probably 31 out of my 32 years in this business. And it can be very challenging, perplexing, and frustrating. But we continue to diligently move through and continue to advocate for the US employer and the US citizen to try and make affordable health care available to as many Americans as we can. And we're only a small piece of the puzzle. There's there's so many other organizations like mine that are great people and health insurance brokers that are great people that are out there really doing a good job. But then there are many that are not. So it's really a matter of trying to reach out and find the appropriate representation and provide the education that brokers need and that employers need so that we can address affordability in as many possible ways as we can. There's a lot more to be done. But but our discussion today, while we started in a different direction, kind of leads me to believe that we probably need to do a discussion on the mechanics of self-funded plans one day where we have a little graphical support that I can share. And, and then on other days, we just uh, continue the conversations where everybody gets what they need to know.
1: Well, why don't we plan for next week, Roger, just in case someone's listening today or watching and they want to make sure we cover that. Why don't we plan to do the mechanics of self-funding next week? Because I think that's a good follow-up and I think there are a lot of questions that are going to, uh, be raised in people's mind because we covered a lot of ground and I know you opened my eyes to a couple aspects of this that I was not fully aware of. And sometimes when we go back to those simple mechanics, we remember things that we may have forgotten. So I think it's always good to have that. So why don't we just plan that for next week? So if you're listening to this, that'll be episode I think number six, and uh, it'll be the first episode in April of 2019. If you're listening to it later.
0: Yeah, except, and, that, except, Bob, I believe next week we are, I'm away, so we're going to postpone till the following week, but we will get it done then.
1: Okay, no April Fool's Day uh, episode. How interesting. All right, so we'll move it to the week after. I can do that. So if you're keeping score at home, I think that's going to be April 8th.
0: And we'll most, we... most important, Bob, remember that everybody's out there. We've promised you a cup of coffee for joining us. So if you make sure you look at the link in the bottom of your page at the moment, uh, you click on that link or put that link in and we will make sure we get you your uh, $5 coupon for a cup of coffee for our next talk.
1: Okay, great. I, I, We've had some people take advantage of that and we're sending them a coupon so that they can grab their cup of coffee and we hope that they'll uh, grab the cup of coffee and use it, drink it while they're listening to our next episode because we think that that's just one of the things. And if you're wondering where that came from, Roger, years ago, used to have a weekly meeting, as I understand it, with uh, some of his brokers where they would talk about issues unfolding in the insurance marketplace over cups of coffee, and uh, he wanted to replicate that, hence the, the benefit roads that we're doing. We've just moved it to a more uh, open platform thanks to technology. I guess we've moved advanced, what, 25, 30 years, Roger?
0: Pretty much, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I, I think it's great. I think it's great. So with that, uh, let's close this episode. Roger, people can always contact you by going to uh, what podcast at uh, uh dot co, right? That's and they great. can always reach out to you. And then what's the phone number if they want to talk to you?
0: Well, if they want to talk to me, I'm at four, four, three, two, seven, five, seven, four, one, two. I'm available anytime. Um, they can send to marketing at benefitindemnity.co or info, or even just directly to Roger at benefitindemnity.co. Be happy to answer your questions and and talk to anybody who wants some information.
1: And that's Roger with R-O-D-G-E-R, and I will tell you the phone number he gave you is his personal line at his desk, and he um, he answers that phone all the time. When we're when we're meeting, he will often take calls and get right into it with people who have questions sending me on my way to come back uh, 45 minutes or an hour later. So if you've got questions that you want answered, he's a great resource for you. So with that, Roger, thank you as always for your insights and your information. It was really great to get some more detail. And we will be back in two weeks.
0: Thank you very much. Take care, guys to the benefit roast a weekly discussion sponsored by benefit indemnity corporation employers in a wide range of fields are using employer-owned health benefits plans to deliver better benefits to their employees at a lower cost learn more at benefitindemnity.co that's benefitindemnity.co see you again next week